seventh lesson is taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18, and it's the wise men follow the star to Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod and the king heard this, sorry, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw, what, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the, and all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was, was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Thanks be to God. Where is God at work in the world? Where is God at work in the world? Now, I guess for some of you, the answer that you might give would be nowhere at all. You don't expect to find God at work in the world because you don't believe that there is a God to work in the world. And if that is you, I want to say thank you for coming anyway, for joining us. I hope that you feel welcome here. We, we love to have people who uh, believe the Christian faith and who don't, and uh, who perhaps believe other things coming to join us. So thank you for coming, if that's you. But I'm sure that many here do believe in God, and when you think of where God is at work in the world, well, you might think 
of the sublime wonder of nature. The rugged mountains, the, the sun-soaked sandy beaches, and the vast star-filled skies that maybe we'll have as we head out this evening. Or maybe you'd think uh, of something more intensely personal to you, your own life, your own health, the love of your friends and family, the birth of your children. And, and Christians affirm all those places as places where God is at work in the world. But the Bible tells us that if we want to see clearly and understand deeply what God is doing in the world, well, the place we have to look for that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God has made himself uniquely known, clearly known. And in the accounts of his life, death, and resurrection, which we had excerpts from this evening, the Gospels, we see that God is at work bringing joyous light into frighteningly dark places. And though we could see that truth in any of the readings that we looked at this evening, this one uh, from Matthew, I think, shows us very clearly. For here we see the stark contrast. <laughs> we, we have a, the stable with the animals gathered in. Here we see the stark contrast between the dark human work of King Herod and the bright heavenly work of King Jesus. Now we see at the very beginning of this reading, if you have it open in front of you, you might make reference to it as we go along. We see that Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. Herod, he was a puppet king of the Roman Empire. He had been installed by Rome to rule over Israel and Judea in about 37 BC, and he did that, he reigned, until about 4 BC. And while he became known as Herod the Great to posterity because of all the great building projects that he had done during his reign, he was hated by the people that actually lived under his reign. In his fear and, and paranoia as he approached the end of his life, um, the Roman historian Josephus tells us that he had his favorite wife executed. If that was his favorite, I don't know how he treated his less favorite wives, but his favorite wife he had executed and three of his sons. Caesar Augustus famously said of Herod that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. And in his final month, knowing that people were not going to mourn over his death, they would celebrate his death, he asked his sister to gather all the leaders of uh, the, the land, all of the Jewish leaders, into the hippodrome right by his palace and to slaughter them all on the day of his death so that people would have something to cry about. Now, that is the kind of king that King Herod was. And so when the wise men come to, to uh, speak with him, I, I think it's quite an act of bravery on their behalf. Consider it. They say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Well, Herod thinks I'm the king of the Jews. And they've come to ask him, where is the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And knowing his track record, we can see why all of Jerusalem with him would be troubled. What is this madman going to do when this news comes in? They knew he was a tin pot dictator. 
And he would not respond well to news of a rival king. And indeed, he doesn't, as we see as, as the reading goes on. But what I think is interesting in what Matthew has to say to us is the way that he shows that Herod was not confused about who Jesus was. He wasn't confused at all. He's told that the heavenly bodies themselves have directed these wise men from the east to this newborn king. So the whole cosmos is in on this. And we're told that uh, hearing that, he gathered the religious experts of um, Judaism in, and he asked them, where is the Christ supposed to be born? So he knows about the Christ, the, the God's king, long promised. In the Old Testament, they, they take him and, and point him to the prophets who had written 500 years before that God had promised that this chosen ruler would come from Bethlehem. And, although he's speaking hypocritically, we, we see that he knows what the proper response he owes to God's Christ is when he says, maybe you, you might think of it in a stage whisper, when, when he says, go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. He has no intention to worship him, but he knows that that's what the Christ deserves. And the word translated as worship, that is a strong word. It is a word that in the, um, in the Greek of it, and the Hebrew precursor, it means to literally lay down on the ground and kiss the ground or the feet of a, a, a superior, as if to say, I am completely dependent on you. I, I submit completely to your authority. And it's a strong thing to say that the Christ deserves worship. So Herod was informed. He knew that the newborn was God's king. He, he knew that worship was the only reasonable response to God's king. But his actual response is so typically human. He sees God's king as a threat to his authority, as a competitor to his rule. And so he wants to lock the doors against his coming. The heavens point to him. The wise men travel to see him. The ancient prophets foretell him. But Herod tries to kill him. And out of that, the desperation of a, a puppet king to hold on to his paper crown, the baby boys of Bethlehem were slaughtered. And that is dark. That is dark. That is, I think, the dark truth of our world, isn't it? We don't need to look very far to see that this is exactly how petty tyrants respond to threats against their authority. They try to kill it. And it's how people went on reacting to Jesus throughout the whole of his life as you read the Gospels. They heard about his authoritative teaching. They saw his astonishing miracles. They witnessed his matchless love for people. And they knew he was the Christ, God's king. But rather than bow down and worship him as would be right and proper, the religious authorities plotted against him. And the crowds cried out, crucify him. And the Roman officials washed their hands of him. And thousands of 
petty little tyrants held on to their own authority, refusing to bow the knee to God's king. Holding on to their worthless little kingdoms. And friends, that darkness is in us too. None of us have anything close to Herod's power and authority, but we fiercely defend our little kingdoms, don't we? My life is mine to do what I want with. No one's going to tell me how to live, not some ancient book. And like Herod, we try to gather as much information about God's king as we need so that we can lock the doors against him. Now, Jesus was just a myth, wasn't he? Or if he, he was actually a historical figure, well then, he was just a good teacher, wasn't he? Or if he was somehow spiritual, somehow divine, it was just one divine being among a succession, like Buddha and like Krishna and like others, wasn't he? And on and on until we're satisfied that our little kingdoms are safely out of his reach and I can maintain the authority that I have. But thanks be to God that the dark works of Herod didn't succeed. And they never succeed. The, the kingdom of God and of his Christ soon expanded throughout the region of Herod. They, they soon expanded beyond the bounds of Israel and of Judea into the ends of the earth, into Hong Kong eventually. And just briefly, I want you to see how King Jesus accomplishes that that ever-increasing government that we read. The government, uh, the increase of his government shall know no end, says the prophet Isaiah. How does he accomplish that? Well, read again with me from this reading. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And what is God's answer to King Herod's mad, genocidal power? It's a defenseless, wriggling little baby held tightly in the arms of his mother as she looks down at him. They say you shouldn't bring a knife to a gunfight. God brought a baby to a genocide, and he won. Jesus came to bring light to deep darkness in our world. He didn't shrink back or stand aloof to the sadness and the suffering. He threw himself into it from the earliest of days. If he could predict his coming uh, through the prophets hundreds of years before, he could have been born into more comfortable circumstances. But he wasn't. And why? Because he wanted to show us that none of the terrors of this life are beyond his experience or his authority. Dreadful diseases, terrible pain, deep grief, and crushing betrayals. He knows all those things. 
And what is God's answer to the deep darkness of life in this world? It's a defenseless, writhing man nailed tightly to a cross as his mother looks up at him. God's king made himself completely subject to the darkness, allowing the Herods of this world and the other petty rebels like us to do their very worst to him. And just when it seemed like darkness had won the day and wiped out the light, then the glorious light of resurrection burst forth, showing that God's king and all who worship him will have the final glorious victory over all darkness. You know, I had a meeting last week in uh, the Foreign Correspondence Club in Central, and as I was waiting for the other person to arrive, I uh, do what I often do in public, which was eavesdrop on the people around me. So if you're out and see me, beware what you're saying. But um, I, I was eavesdropping on the, the conversation next to me, and the people were talking about their Christmas plans, where they were headed, and uh, their travels and the family that they would see. And there was a, a man and a lady speaking next to me, and she heard his plans, and it was a whole lot. And, and she said, well, uh, that sounds like a lot. So, do you like Christmas? Do you enjoy this time of year? And he said, not really. It's all a bit much. Too many expectations, too naff, too many gaudy lights and, and grating songs and, and so on. And, you know, I think, though he didn't know it, it I think he speaks for a lot of us, a lot of people. And that's what's wrong with Christmas and really with the good news of Jesus Christ in the eyes of humans. It's too much. It's too much, too good to be true, too wonderful to be credible, too much for modern skepticism, too much for those who want to extend their petty little kingdom. But the message of Christmas is a message of reality. And so if the Christmas story is true, what does it mean for us? It means that God's King has come in the flesh. And the way that he came tells us that we are most likely to find him in the darkness of this world, in the difficulties of our lives, in the sadnesses that we face, in the grief and the pain. When we find ourselves in a pit, and especially in a pit of our own making, that is where we are likely to turn and find the Lord Jesus Christ with us, beside us. We should not be surprised to see God's King has come to meet us there, to light up our darkness, and to rescue us from sin, ourselves, and to give us joy.